Did you know there's several common terms and practices that actually came from the world of espionage? Just like Gray Man, another one that is commonly used today is EDC or everyday carry. It started in the 50s, a few years after the CIA was created, about the items they need to have on them every day, considering the agency was comprised of former OSS operatives, military, and college graduates. They came up with an idea based on where they were working and what their assignment was, what they would carry every day. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Everyday carry a different way. It might surprise you to find out some of the things that the gray man carries and that they don't, depending on their assignments and what they're doing throughout the world. And we'll go into that a little bit in depth and explain the reasons why. Now, some of this you may not agree with in your own personal life, but that's okay. You need to carry whatever you need to to get through the day. But hopefully something in here does give you a few ideas on what you might be able to add to your everyday carry, as well as understanding why in some places and in some professions, like the gray man, they can't carry it all the time. In case there's anybody unfamiliar with the subject, everyday carry has become kind of a trademark thing now. You can actually find articles and YouTube videos on it, people doing what they call pocket dumps, discussing what they carry and why, comparing what they have and what they don't. It's a pretty big idea and a lot of personal security, prepper, survivalist type movements. And it's a pretty common thing. It actually is a simple thing that makes sense. Pretty much everybody has an everyday carry. For example, if you carry your phone, your keys, and your wallet whenever you leave the house or pretty much all the time, that's considered your everyday carry. The idea behind it now you'll see is to always have that stuff with you. And the items you carry are based on what you need. So there are some givens for a lot of people, like the ID or driver's license and the wallet, you know, your glasses, things like that. If you look the stuff up online, it expounds quite a bit. It starts talking about some people carry firearms, they carry knives, they carry handcuff keys, perhaps a multi-tool. Some people carry miniature survival kits, whether it's a few pieces or larger. Some they carry an Altoids tin. Some talk about the clothing they wear, the specific ones, and why. And it's kind of the intro to the things they need on them to survive and get through the day if something happens. And then it moves on up into different levels to different types of bags and items they might have in their vehicle or they could carry if they needed to get home or leave. It goes into much bigger subjects. So that's kind of the idea behind it, is to discuss what these items are that the gray man in the professional world carry that might give you some ideas about things you could do differently or perhaps add to your kit. The biggest part of being a gray man in respect to its origins, the idea of hiding in plain sight is they have a lifestyle they live, no matter if they're doing missions or what they're doing where they presume they're always under surveillance or somebody's trying to surveil them. So everything they do is to minimize the footprint as much as possible, which can be very difficult in the modern world as more and more technology develops. And one of the things you have to do is buy things. So we're going to talk about the different ways to finance and hide yourself when you're making purchases. Now, cash is king, and we all know that, but there are some things to consider about cash, at least from the gray man's point of view. There are countries out there where American dollars will get you killed, and then there's countries where American dollars will get you a lot farther than the local currency. So it's important to understand where you want to use cash and where you want to use credit cards. Now, some people are thinking, well, gray man, they're trying to hide. They're not going to use credit cards. There's a digital footprint. That's not entirely accurate. Actually, there's a great way to use plastic, especially in the modern world today, to help hide what you're doing and to actually look normal. There are places where cash don't look normal. Several years ago, I was dating a girl, and we went into Victoria's Secret to buy myself some presents. I guess they were for her, but they were for me. And when I went up there to the little girls at the counters, I'll call them, and I had cash, they were kind of confused as to what to do. And they had difficulty trying to make change. And there are places like that where cash is out of place, also the denominations you carry. So in this country, by far the most common denominations are the 20 and the $5 bill. Tens are still out there. 50s are very rare. And hundreds are pretty common. It's just, where are you when you're using them? If you're in a place like Las Vegas or Atlantic City, $100 bills float around like ones at a strip club. And they have an assumed loss of fake $100 bills because there's just so much money out there. But you get to small town USA and you go to the barbershop and pull out a $100 bill, that's probably not going to look like it's in the right place. But having emergency cash is important. And there's one of the ways that they used to do it in the whole little espionage world how they used to transport cash or emergency funds 
is in the one place I mentioned in situational awareness that nobody ever looks and you should always look, and that's at their feet. Our currency is actually pretty durable. I'm sure many of you have had cash in your pockets that went through the wash and came out a lot cleaner. So when you're going to do this, you want to avoid the few bills that you probably don't even really have, but you know, you get those really, really old ones that are just super crumpled everywhere. While they're still durable, ones in better shape will work for you. They don't have to be brand new. But all you do is take a bill and fold it into quarters. Halves are going to be probably too big and put it under the insole inside your footwear. It's completely unnoticeable in thicker soles. So if you wear any type of boots or if you have special orthotics or aftermarket insoles in your tennis shoes, they're probably going to work well. If you're wearing gel, I think they work even better. I just don't wear gel myself. Now, if you're out there and you're wearing some sort of dress shoes with a thin insert or perhaps a woman who wears even flats, sometimes that's not going to work. You just got to kind of check it out yourself. I can't tell you if you fold it the long way, it's more noticeable and uncomfortable. But if you fold it into quarters and put it under the balls of your feet or even in the heel, sometimes works really well. You can keep that hidden. Now, think about that. If you had one bill in each foot, how much money would you need to carry? If you had two 20s, that's $40. What can you get with that? That might be good where you're at. Somebody else might need $100 bills. You could do a couple of bills, but once you start adding additional bills, it starts to become more noticeable. Now, when the Grayman did this, they actually added a different kind of feature. What they would do is have American money in one shoe and local currency in another. That's only if they're in a place where they knew American currency was going to get them somewhere. But you're only carrying small amounts of money. So it depends on what you need it for. But it is a good way to have extra backup money. And it's one place that even if you were to get mugged, probably isn't going to be checked by a thief. It's actually really great for kids too. I have friends that worked in a similar type of business as I did or the same line of work or even up at the federal level. And they have their kids carry emergency funds in case they need to get a cab or make a phone call or get something to eat. Now, of course, you have to monitor that and make sure your children just aren't bending it to spend it. But it's a good place to have emergency money if children get in trouble. It's also great for people that go out and say hike or just walk the dog exercise and they wear workout clothes. They don't carry a lot of stuff or perhaps they don't want to carry the waist belt that has all the pockets because maybe the activity they're doing that becomes too hot. It's a good way to have a little extra money on you in case you're out there and you need to pick something up at the store or something happens and you're out there and you're lost, but you need money when you find some place to get where you're going. So just something to consider. That's another way to carry a little extra money and you kind of forget about it once it's in there for a while. It's like anything else. Once it's there, you just kind of forget you got it. And then when you need it, you're going to remember. Since we're talking about footwear and I mentioned that we'll talk about passing messages, it was during the Cold War that one of the things the CIA did was pass messages using shoelaces. A lot of you probably know that there's plenty of ways to tie your shoelaces and some ways are designed to help if you've got wider feet or you got a thicker area where it pivots and it hurts or perhaps your heel's slipping. You can look that up online. New Balance used to have it on their website. I don't know if they do now. So what the agents would do was tie their shoelaces in different patterns that they had a code for it so that the next guy could look at their feet and receive the message. Because again, people just tend not to look at the feet. And they had a simple system of different phrases or what their meanings were. So if you're going to do this in your organization or do it for fun or have the kids do it or whatever you're going to do, um, make sure that you keep it symmetrical. Don't take one side and change something that's not the same on the other side. That will actually look out of place, especially if you have any type of shoelaces or footwear that people are going to tend to look at. Now, first things that come to mind are flashier footwear, big colorful laces that kids like, or like we all liked in the 80s. But another thing is what kind of shoes you're wearing. If you're in a business environment and everybody's wearing loafers, but you happen to have those several thousand dollar Italian ones, people are going to look at your shoes. If you're in a place where everybody has nice shoes and you don't, your shoes will be noticed. So just keep that in mind. What stands out? So keep it symmetrical. Now, the thing is, a lot of people, when they tie their shoes, they run the laces up through the bottom and some people run them down through the top. If you're going to use this system, all you got to do is teach people to first look for that. The reason is, if you come up with, say, four simple ways to tie your shoes that aren't going to affect your ability to walk comfortably, 
and then you run the laces the opposite way. So let's say you bring them up through the bottom. Then if you bring them down through the top, you can use those same four patterns and you just doubled your options. So it's just something to look at if you want to pass messages. It's actually a good thing that kids could use. Something you might find interesting is that professional gray men actually don't carry firearms all that often. In this country, a lot of people carry firearms full-time, some carry them part-time, some don't carry them at all. And the reason for not carrying has nothing to do with politics. Most of them are in foreign countries where you have all different kinds of laws and rules, and that can be very difficult. Additionally, even when they're in this country, you have different rules based on your state, whether or not you can carry concealed or open, and a professional gray man would never carry open. So that's a huge distractor. The thing is, it's more of a threat to them than a benefit. It's not like the movies. Most of it's quiet, boring. You're out meeting people, trying to get information, or perhaps you're just living quietly waiting for the next assignment. The one thing you don't need is to have attention drawn to you because somebody notices a firearm when you're not supposed to have one. Or you can have it, but you're in a place where they're not that common. Now, they have firearms made available to them when they need them for certain operations or missions, but typically they're not going to have them on them all the time. It's going to be very rare. Now, does that mean you shouldn't carry one? Of course not. Most people I know carry firearms at least part-time, if not all the time. So don't let the idea of what a gray man would do on the job in the professional world compare to what you're going to do when you're trying to learn how to be more hidden in plain sight. You just have to take it under precaution and consider what situation you're carrying in. Some people are like, well, I don't care. It's my right. You're correct. It is your right. But if you're trying not to stand out for any situation, just take an extra second before you go somewhere and figure out, in this environment, should I be carrying one? Or if you don't even want to ask that question, is there a better way to carry it more concealed? And what about open carry? Absolutely fine. There's plenty of places where that's the most common way to carry a firearm. One of the things I find most interesting in the EDC movement is a lot of people carry handcuff keys. The reason I find that interesting is most of what people have for EDC are the things they might need in case something happens. Well, for the most part, the only people that tend to carry handcuffs are security officers and law enforcement, and not all security officers carry them. So what situation are you getting in where you're going to need a handcuff key? I'm just posing the question I'm not judging because I'll tell you what, a lot of times I carry a handcuff key. It just depends on what I'm doing and where I'm going. But if you carry a handcuff key, you got to keep in mind, where is it on your person? Now, there's a lot of handcuff keys in different sizes you can get. Some you could put on your key ring. Some are even made a little bit different to go and hide into your belt. Just something to think about. If you're going to carry a handcuff key, when you're handcuffed, the most likely situation is you'll be cuffed behind your back. Now, before I go any farther, I'm not going to tell you how to get away from the cops. This is not to give you legal advice or tell you what to do or to make those things okay. If you do that, you're on your own. But the reason they put it behind your back is it's hard for you to see. It's more difficult for you to move, obviously, and you can't just grab things, use them as a weapon, don't open doors. So that's why you get handcuffed behind your back. So the way to carry a handcuff key would be close to the center of your back as possible. Now, whether it's inside your pants, outside your pants, behind the belt loop, however you choose to do that, just practice with it. But the reason you want it centered isn't just because it's in between both hands, and it's not even because you can move both hands a little bit direction and maybe get it. It's because a lot of people, when they get searched, they're done different ways. It's actually very common for people to run the backs of their hands against somebody's body. Now, that's not always going to be the case. But if they run the back of their hands, they actually are less likely to feel something that small. But also when their hands naturally come together at the angle they're at, sometimes they don't even reach that dense center spot. And then if you got a belt loop there, it can make it a little more hidden. Now, there's no guarantee on that. The other thing, too, is if they're wearing gloves, it could be a little more difficult. But a lot of law enforcement officers, security officers, when they do it, for example, again, don't get out of handcuffs with a cop, you're going to get bigger trouble. They'll get in there really close and really feel in there. And that's just going to depend on the training and what they know to do. Now, aside from somebody running around in a movie playing Jason Bourne, one of the most common things to actually carry is a pen. A pen is much better than a pencil in most situations, just because the ink lasts longer, you don't have to worry about sharpening it, and you don't have to worry about some cheap little plastic thing breaking. One of the reasons a pen is important is you're always trying to make yourself less memorable. That's part of the blending in process. One of the things is to not talk unless you have to. Every time you have to speak, you're giving one more piece of information to people's brains to remember who you are. 
So if you don't have to ask for a pen, that's less time that you have to speak. Another reason pens are often carried by professional gray men is they're a weapon. Part of the training is to turn almost anything into a weapon. So in the situational awareness, I did talk about the magazines. Well, another one is the pen. Holding the pen, especially put your thumb on the back of it, that can be used as a defensive or offensive weapon similar to a small knife. With the right training and a little bit of force, you can actually pierce the skin with that tool, cause damage to your opponent. Personally, I just find myself in situations where I need a pen pretty often. Whether it's signing for something, going to a medical appointment, or just needing to take notes, I like to have the pen. Of course, with the pen goes the notebook, and that really just depends on the person and what they're doing. There's a situation in the world of espionage where they don't carry notebooks. That's just not needed at certain times, and they're trained to remember large volumes of information and to recall it with a high degree of accuracy. And then other times they do have a notebook. However, if you're going to carry a notebook, that's great and everything. But if you're a prepper, survivalist, or anybody that says, I want to make notations, but I don't want people to know what they are, you need to come up with your own coding system. There's plenty out there, and you really can just create your own, especially if you're the only person who needs to know it. I think it was Da Vinci who wrote Upside Down and Backwards, if I remember correctly. Whoever it was, one of the guys I know speaks Russian, and he writes Russian Upside Down and Backwards, and then he alternates the letters and then sometimes flips them over, but he knows the language so well, he can just read it straight through. But yet it confuses people who are not familiar with those symbols. Another one too is Arabic. When I used to write Arabic, depending on how the forms were you used and what you were trained in, I would actually add extra letters or over-accentuate things, knowing what I was doing just to try it out. And it actually worked pretty well for me. And then I let some of my interpreters look at it. Funny thing was, the only guy that figured it out was a guy who grew up on the streets who wasn't educated. I did have an interpreter who was a college professor who had a TS clearance and was very good at his job. He was not sure at all what I did. So if you're going to do something like that, try to pick something that's not familiar around you just to limit the possibilities of somebody discovering it. Now, while I doubt you're going to do it in a notebook, a lot of people text. You can actually send messages using just emojis. Now, I know a lot of you know that, but a little piece of trivia is that actually started in intelligence agencies and I believe it was before emojis were even that available on phones. They just existed in, say, emails, computer traffic, that type of stuff. They developed a coding system with far more emojis than, well, at least some were available a decade ago. And they have more now. And it was a very complex system, but they would use emojis because of so many electronic devices and digital. So I know a lot of you know that now. You know, the girl sends the guy the kissy face. And he sends her back three symbols that says, I want to eat eggplant, drink water until I'm satisfied. I'm not sure why people do that, but apparently that's the message. But it's just another way to consider sending messages because I know a lot of people do that. The thing is, if you're going to do that, put some time and effort into it. Develop a system that's a lot more complex than what you're seeing now. Use symbols for different meanings or completely take common phrases that are sexual like the eggplant thing and turn them into something else. It's a good way to send messages and to keep things secret between your loved ones or your friends or even to tell people that you need assistance or an emergency. Now, maybe you're wondering about the phone, especially with all the stuff that's gone on with the NSA surveillance. You have no idea what the country's capable of when it comes to that stuff, but it would blow your mind. While I personally put some effort in hiding into my identity and only letting people know if I want them to or getting people to believe a different identity than what mine actually is, which is pretty amazing how many people believe that. I actually use a cell phone even though I know exactly what surveillance is capable of. It's because I don't care. The reason being is phones just aren't secure. They can't really be secured. Now, at the same time, the reason I don't care is it's not like everybody's getting their phone calls listened to. There's millions of them going on constantly. The fact of the matter is if you're targeted and they go after your phone, they're going to get you. So if they get me because of my phone, I did something stupid and I probably need to answer for it. But I personally just don't care. So if you're wondering, do the professional gray men, do they actually have phones? Oh yeah, they have them. They need them. There's plenty of times when they don't have them and don't use them. And there's all kinds of things you can read online that you can do to kind of protect yourself. There's things about changing SIM cards all the way up to getting like the black phone or some of the other phones. There's probably new ones now that go so far as if somebody tries to physically get in the phone, it'll just fry everything inside. Now, while there are techniques and stuff to get into people's phones, most of it's done digitally over the cell signals and through other devices that aren't cellular. 
So don't get yourself all caught up in that. But yes, if you're curious, they do have phones. They tend not to have the smartphones, but they do have phones. Now let's get back to money. I mentioned using plastic and credit cards and how in Victoria's Secret I confused some children with cash. Thank God I didn't have $2 bills. They probably would have called the cops. And whether or not you think that's funny, there's actually a story out there where that happened in some restaurant. They thought the $2 bill was fake and didn't believe anybody. The thing to consider is where you actually need a credit card, like a Visa card. One example is most hotels. When you go in, they want plastic for the deposit and they tend to want an ID. Well, a simple way around that is to get a prepaid card. That way you don't have to use your own. And the only thing you're tied to on that car is the place it made the purchase. So how you go about it is you don't purchase the card. This is assuming you want to get really serious. You don't purchase the card where you live or to the store you always go to. And if you're going to buy cards that are gift cards for stores or more specifically restaurants, you don't want to buy them on location only because most places have some sort of surveillance now. And despite what you're doing, it's just more time you're on camera. Now, this is depending on how serious you want to get. If you're just looking at it as a backup situation, having gift cards and prepaid cards are great for any type of emergency where you don't have cash or you don't have enough cash. Or if you have them, let's say, in your vehicle or maybe they're just somewhere else on your person and you get robbed or you lose your purse or you lose your wallet and you have that backup, you do have some definite money there. Another great thing about prepaid cards is if they're stolen or you lose it, they're only worth whatever's left on there. So yeah, it would suck to lose a $100 or $500 Visa card, but it's worse to lose the debit card connected to your bank account that could have thousands of dollars in it or the credit card with a crazy limit, not to mention all the hassle of calling the companies, get new cards, identity theft. That's one good reason to have those cards. Another thing too is about using these cards is think about transportation. So we have Lyft and Uber. There might be another one now. I'm not too big into it anymore. I haven't used them in a while. One of them's changed, so you'd have to find out which one it is. But for a long time, you could use prepaid credit cards. And not only that, you could make up an identity. And on one of them, you can definitely still do it just to limit the possibilities of anybody about finding out who you are. And that's a good thing for people that want to be safe or don't want to run the risk of anybody getting that information, leaking that information, and stalking you or following you. This is especially great for women. If you follow that and figure out which company it is, then you just get a little smarter about where you get picked up and get dropped off. You'll add quite a bit of identity protection to help keep yourself safe. Now, the gray man doesn't always think about that. Typically, they're definitely getting dropped off and picked up in different locations. They've got that all planned out. But this is just a good thing for your own personal security. So when you're being gray, a big part of it that we'll get into on other shows is basically manipulating and lying, manipulating somewhat in a good way. But it's telling stories, being convincing. While in a lot of intelligence agencies and military intelligence, this is trained. There's also specific classes on persuasion and influence theory to teach people how to be more convincing. But I bring this up because if you're using especially gift cards, say you're going to a restaurant, you want to have a story to go along with it because most people got a gift card as a gift. So why did you get it? Who gave it to you? What's the special occasion? Now we'll get more into that on other shows about how to be convincing. Just remember if you're going to do this, the best lies are 90% true, if not higher. So make sure you're telling a lot of truth, just not truths that are going to get you caught or put you in danger to be sure that you're consistent with the story. Otherwise, you'll screw up and get caught, and that's the last thing you want. Now, there are hotels out there and other places that require credit cards that will take prepaid cards. That's something you need to find out on your own call ahead for. You also need to determine what kind of ID they have and if they maintain copies of them. So when they say, yeah, we need to see an ID, you say, okay, do you keep a copy on file? Just something I want to know because I don't like that. They're used to those kind of questions. And some of them, no. They just look at the ID to verify the credit card. But if they take prepaid credit cards, but they want an ID to verify who you are, they probably aren't going to keep that information down. But there are places that don't require ID cards, but will take prepaid cards. And then if you get into the more shady, offbeat, mom and pop places, a lot of them still take cash. So you're kind of running into a two-part situation here. One is how much preparation time do you have? Can you make those calls and figure that information out? And the other one is to just deal with it on the fly. Now, that's not a big deal for most people. You're just trying to protect your identity, which is a lot about what the gray man hiding in plain sight shows about. 
how to take some of those concepts and protect your own identity. But in the gray man world, there's ways to handle those situations on the fly that you've got to protect yourself. And a lot of them typically involve large amounts of cash to get what you want, which tends to work because they're typically in foreign countries where cash, again, is king. Something else to think about is that when you use an electronic device or a card, an electronic device that has your personal information, like a credit card, it's tracked on a database somewhere. A lot of places sell it. Sometimes it gets stolen. A lot of places they don't sell it. But think about just going from point A to point B or maybe long distance traveling. One of the things we'll talk about in the future is establishing false trails and patterns of life and what they're for and things that you can add to yourself or to just protect your identities. So some things people do when it comes to money, and they do this more for budgeting, but it's actually good to minimize your digital footprint is they'll go to the bank and they'll make an ATM cash withdrawal, the money they're going to spend for the week and try to do everything in cash. While that's great for you and helps you deal with a budget, if that's something that works for you, one thing it does is minimize how often you're swiping that card. And that cuts way back on where you are. Now, to give you kind of a preview, and when we do that show, you don't always want to do that because part of your regular pattern of life and looking normal might require swiping that card, like say getting groceries at the grocery store every Wednesday if that's what you do. But there's times that you don't want to do that. So the reason I mentioned travel is something as simple as getting gas. If you tend to always go to a specific gas station and get gas at the beginning of the week, that could just be part of your normal pattern of life. But what if you're traveling long distance and you just don't want to swipe your card as much, or perhaps you just don't want anybody to know what you're doing, or you want to cut down on that digital footprint, maybe you just want to cut back on how many charges are in your account? Use a prepaid credit card or use cash. That's just another way to do it. No matter what you choose to do when it comes to using forms of currency to buy your way through life, it only takes a second to think about it to really determine most of the time which way to go. As long as you put a little thought into it for a few seconds, you'll probably figure it out depending on how serious you want to get about this. So whether you're doing these options because you're paying attention to your budget, perhaps you just don't like the idea that there's companies out there that track your movement or information, or Maybe you're trying to go so far to be completely hidden, be private, be off-grid, or maybe you're just in hiding because somebody is a danger to you. These techniques will work. It's just something you got to plan ahead for and figure out. One of the things I don't see a lot on EDC stuff, which isn't an issue, is just something I thought I'd mention are watches. There's a lot of thoughts on watches. The things that matter about a watch is... Are you going to use the features that are on there? I think it's like a lot of things. We see the new cool thing or something cool it'll do, and maybe we'll use it so we buy it. It's kind of like every time a new iPhone or Android phone comes out, people that just got a phone a year, year and a half ago, that's perfectly fine. We'll get a new one. That's fine if that's what you want to do. Personally, I don't do that. I think it's crazy. But hey, you do you. The thing is to ensure that you have a watch that has some important functions. One of the things that I used to use a watch for, and I still on occasion, is to ensure that it had a timer on it some type of stopwatch. The timer was good for just practicing, rehearsing things and making sure I could do things in a certain amount of time so that the alarm went off. For example, being in a room waiting to do something, we'll say, and knowing that based on the status I was in, I had to get up and be out of the room in three minutes. So it's something you could practice. Another thing you need, though, is the stopwatch. Now, here's where it comes in handy. There was actually a movie with Denzel Washington. He's like a retired CIA guy or something. You know, he's always going to the diner reading that book. And I think it's the Russian mob guys or something. But he always visualizes stuff, how long it'll take. Then he actually times it and does it and then sees, I'm getting a little slow. Then he does the fight scene about going through and what he's going to do to all these guys. And then he checks how long it took him. There's actually a little truth to that, just not in that situation. And to explain it, I'll tell you how you can use it just in your own personal travels. One of the things to do is to figure out how long it takes you to get places. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say you're in a motel or a hotel, right? And you're on the third floor. One of the things to do to help protect yourself is to kind of case that joint, as I say it. That's to check for all the things that we talked about in situational awareness. And one of them is escape routes. You tend to have some sort of emergency evacuation plan, fire alarm plan on the back of the door. But have you ever actually walked those distances and seen where those things are? How long does it take you to walk there at a casual pace? Not super slow, but somewhat casual. How many steps is it? That's important information to know. 
especially how to get to the elevators, how to get to the stairwells, how long it takes for all those routes to get to the front door. That's actually something a gray man does as part of his escape planning. And it's something I recommend to people all the time when they travel, especially if you're traveling overseas, any overseas location, including our U.S. territories and Hawaii, having lived there. The reason I say this is when something does happen, panic can set in. And if you have a plan, you're a little more prepared. The panic and the adrenaline will tend to be delayed if it comes at all. So this is something that's really good to help you find your way out of a situation. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go do this at every grocery store you shop at. Maybe over time you figure it out. But a hotel is a good example. This is just one way the stopwatch is used. Another thing is to figure out the type of watch you have. Just make sure it makes sense for the clothing you're wearing. So let's say you like really nice watches. Does that watch fit all the situations that you're in or could be in? Now, granted, there are plenty of watches that could fit many situations. Maybe you need more than one. Just make sure it's not too crazy or out of line with your normal dress most of the time. And the other thing is to make sure that it's going to work. So buy watches that are durable, that are known to have a long shelf life when you're wearing them, that can handle the abuse. If they take batteries, make sure you know how long those batteries are good for. And just like with any tool you have, make sure you practice how to use those functions. And the simple way to do it is just to practice pacing those locations off and getting the time it's going to take you to go from A to B. One of the things I mentioned previously is a lot of people tend to solely focus on your appearance and the clothing you wear. I will point a few things out about that. This is going to the more extreme case of trying to hide your identity and not being identifiable. One of the things that I have done and we did in training was with the clothes we wore to make sure that it made sense for where we were, but also try to minimize the use of logos or any markings could make it stand out. Now, in some places that's easy to do, in some places it's not. But a lot of things you do see on movies are actually somewhat realistic. For example, the ball cap, they're very common. It's easy to hide who you are. You can pick them up pretty cheaply. You just get one that's usually a solid color or a couple of colors. Typically, it's going to be darker and not lighter or bright because it's less noticeable. The eye doesn't catch it. And it's just a way to hide your face from cameras or even from surveillance that's a little farther away in order to not make your face as recognizable. Same thing they do with a lot of their other clothing is try to minimize any markings or thing to make them stand out to make it memorable. That's where kind of the idea of neutral colors come in, but I got to tell you, neutral colors ain't always the way to go. You can be a gray man dressed as a clown, and there's places that would make sense, like the circus. That might sound funny, but in all honesty, every appearance can be used to be gray. It just has to be appropriate to that environment. So sure, Neutral colors and comfortable shoes and a baseball hat and sunglasses sound great until you walk into that formal dinner party. So just pick and choose the clothes you want that make you feel comfortable, that you're happy with, and that don't make you stand out, presuming that you're going that route of trying to be hidden and less noticeable. This applies to any accessory item, even sunglasses. Just make sure they make sense and they work. In that world, we tend to wear darker ones just to hide our eyes a little bit more. It wasn't about protection. It actually has to do with a body language thing we'll talk about in the future. And we avoided logos, too flashy, all that kind of stuff, reflective lenses of colors. We tried to avoid that unless it made sense. You know, for example, if for whatever reason you were on the job in Aspen skiing, yeah, you're probably going to have stuff with a little color in them in the reflection. So again, everything can work. It just depends on where you're at. One of the last things I'll mention that's pretty small, because it might seem like this is very limited, is identification. It's actually not uncommon for him to not carry identification. I often go without carrying identification, unless I know I'm absolutely going to need it. Let's say you go to a place like a restaurant. What do you actually need identification for? Use cash or prepaid car? You don't need it at all. Now, in what you could call the spy game in that magical world, they do have identification. In fact, they have several types of identification, several IDs, all of which are fake, yet real documents. The reason they go without it is to remain unidentified. You know, on one of the shows I was on, I don't think it's on Gray Man, but on one of the YouTube shows I did, 
we talked about going without identification and why you would do it. The example I gave was instant credibility with law enforcement. Now, granted, if you're driving a car, I think in this country, pretty much everywhere you need to have your driver's license. I just leave mine in my car. Some people think, well, what happens if your car gets stolen? They know who you are. They're going to know anyway because my insurance and registration are in there. I don't carry them on me all the time. The only additional information they're going to get on me is my height, my weight, and whether or not I'm an organ donor. Everything else on my card, I'm pretty sure is on my registration. So here's how instant credibility works. I told him, pick a place that would make sense that you don't need IDs. This could be walking around the mall. It could be at a carnival, a fair, public park. doesn't matter. Some place where you don't necessarily need it. I then said, let's say something happens. Something typical like a car wreck. Maybe there was a fight. Something that law enforcement had to come to that would be normal. Something you'd very likely see. And you're a witness. So you choose to talk to law enforcement or you're approached by law enforcement. And you begin talking to them. Through the process of giving your witness statement, it's entirely possible that they want your ID. Now, having been in those situations, there's many times where they just ask my information and I give it to them. But there has been plenty of times where they actually want an identification. I said, I don't have it. And only about half the time was I even questioned. And I just told them, oh, I forgot it. I left my wallet in the car. I don't need it. Some story like that. And they tend not to care. In one situation that happened to me, and I know several people this has happened to, where I was involved or close enough as a witness, they thought I might have been involved. They actually wanted to run my information without having identification on me. So I just gave them everything, told them what they could find, all the past information, anything they wanted to verify, and they could see that it was me. It was completely unreasonable that anybody else would know this amount of detail. And that gave me instant credibility. That told them that I was truthful. And it's not a conscious thought, typically. It's subconscious, and they tend to believe whatever you're going to say at that point. Not saying they're going to believe it 100% or not going to believe it 100% of the time, but you are seen subconsciously by that investigator is more truthful. Now, this is not the opportunity to go lying to law enforcement. It was just an example of ways you gain credibility with people. Now, you can take this same idea and apply it to almost any situation with regular people what could you do or say that would make sense to them to gain instant credibility to make them subconsciously believe you're more truthful? Now, the advice I give to anybody is to just think logically about it. If you're going to carry credit cards that have your name on them to make purchases, you should probably carry an ID too. It's far more damaging to lose the credit card than the ID, even though getting the ID replaced requires sitting somewhere for a long time in a line you don't want to be in. But it's very common to use a credit card and have them want to check your ID. Another thing, too, is if you're not comfortable doing it, you need to practice. The reason why is when it comes to the gray man concept, the biggest thing about hiding in plain sight is you should look like you're supposed to be there. While at the same time, nobody should be looking at you. And if you aren't carrying a natural confidence and it doesn't have to be like, oh, that guy's confident. But if you're not confident or you're nervous or something feels wrong, you're going to give that off through your body language. And whether people know what it is or can consciously see it or not, it's going to get picked up on. So example, I gave this lady that I know who said, I want to do this, but I'm really uncomfortable because I'm so used to having an ID. I said, here's what you do. Do you carry your wallet or your ID card when you go walk your dog? And she's like, well, yeah. And I said, that's the time not to do it. You only go a couple blocks. You go in the middle of the day. Other people are out there. Do that for a month and see how that affects you. She ended up trying to not use her ID in more situations and occasions within about two weeks. Now, that was just her situation. But in anything you're doing, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you have to practice it. You have to train. It's just like any type of equipment you use, you have to train on. When you first learn something, it's not always comfortable. You have to use it, get used to it, build the confidence and then you expound on it, add more skills, add things, make things different. If you try to go into all the craziness right away, it can be difficult for a lot of people. So just practice. Do it in the little things and then slowly add it up to bigger parts of your life. By now, I'm sure some of you have wondered why there aren't more things or bigger things. There's a lot of other little things you can look at. But actually in that world, especially when it comes to agency personnel, they only carry a few small items on their person, on their regular clothes that are touching their body all the time. Some of the bigger, more common things that a lot of people carry for EDC, they have. They just don't carry it on their person all the time. 
And by on their person, I mean in their pockets, in their clothing. What they have is what's called an ops bag, an operations bag. In the spy movies, it's always like a messenger bag, which actually isn't uncommon. But it's some sort of bag of different varying sizes that they can carry all those other extra items in. And a lot of times that might be where a firearm is, so they don't have it on their person all the time. Could be a knife, could be a multi-tool, could be a compass, depending on what you're doing and where you're at. Could be a bigger notebook, could be an electronic device. It could be the water filter or food, snacks, any of those types of things are kept in what they call an ops bag, but there's typically not a lot of stuff in there. Now, I don't want to get all into the whole bug out bag and all that stuff. That's not what this is for, but I just want to explain a little bit about what the operations bag's for. It's for those few extra items you might need, but it's unlikely you'll need them a lot, but you could need them on any given day. But part of those items are to help you get from point A to point B. So that might be where some additional money, maybe an ID, maybe a card is. It just depends on what you need in there. So the idea behind the ops bag is it gets you from where you are in a bad situation where you have to evacuate or go on the run and then get to a location where you have another bag that would be considered similar to what a lot of people call the get home bag, except for in that world, it's not really getting home. It's getting back to wherever their base of operations is, which could be a temporary home or it could be the office. It could be a safe house or some other meetup location. And that bag is a lot similar to the get home bag because it has more items in there. Or if it doesn't have more, it definitely has different items that are get you to another location. They tend to be disposable, things you can dump, get rid of, but get you to where you need to get for another bag that has stuff you can survive in or to get you back to a base or another location with another cache that has the big bag that would be considered similar to the bug out bag. So that's the reason why I only talked about a few little things that people don't always think about or discuss that I thought might help you out, but to explain what the ops bag was. Now, if you're wondering, do you have an ops bag? Yeah, I have three of them, actually. They have different uses and different purposes and the things I need them, and I take one with me all the time wherever I go, and I have one that's actually in my vehicle that some people might consider a get-home bag, but for what its uses are to me, it's more like an ops bag. And then I have another backup bag, with a few extra things I can trade in or trade out as things change, like the weather. One of the things I do want to discuss, though, I don't know that every person would need this. I actually still have them and use them on occasion, is digital devices, recording devices. You remember they had like the dictaphones and then they had the little cassette things with the tiny little cassette tapes in them a long time ago. Now it's gone so far to have digital recording devices that are very, very small. The one I have I use most often I would consider large, and it's maybe three, three and a half inches long. If you're familiar with Apple TV, it's about the size of the remote, the old silver one, but not quite as long. It's got a couple of buttons on there, and I can't remember. It can hold several hours of audio recordings, and it actually works fairly well. It's not as good, obviously, as, say, recording on a podcast or doing a YouTube or even, like, a phone call, but it's better than a bad phone call. It's good enough that it's very clear that you could tell who the person is talking if you had voice samples or knew who they were. Now, the thing is, if you want something like that, you can get those really cheap nowadays. Now, of course, on a phone, especially a smartphone, you have recording apps, and those are great too. And what's great about a recording app, if you want to record conversations or record interactions or potential altercations, is that it's not uncommon to have a phone in your hand. You just want to make sure that it makes sense. And here's why I say that. Let's say a woman out there, you got one of those huge purses like some women have. Unless you just came off a phone call, which would be a good setup, it would look weird for you to pull that out, hold it in your hand, and try to gesture towards them like you're trying to get them to talk in a mic. Somebody's going to pick up on that. But it's not uncommon to see people, especially women, walk from a vehicle into, say, a grocery store, and they have maybe their keys in their hand and their phone and they're going in to get coffee or something like that. I see that in Arizona all the time. And typically it's because they're wearing some sort of workout clothes. They don't have pockets for it. And that'd be a good situation to have the recording device on there. And a lot of the good recording devices that are on there can operate with the screen off and they just continue to record and will go as far as the memory in your phone. Those other little ones are great too, because they're a little smaller. They tend to work well. 
just if you get one, you want to find out how well it'll record if it's in clothing or in your pocket. One of the ones I used to have, I could put in jeans and it actually worked pretty well. And then in normal pants, it was great. So you just got to figure that out. And the thing is, why would you need one of those? Most people, I think it's because there might be a potential altercation or potential situation where you want to record something in case something does happen in order to protect yourself. And here's the thing too about that. If you're about to get into an altercation, you think it's about to happen. It's very easy to get way too involved in that and do or say the wrong thing. And then it becomes he said, she said, witnesses on whoever's side. If you start to record that, not only do you potentially have evidence, but the other thing is, you know, you're recording it. You'll actually think twice about the things you're going to say in order to not do too much to inflame the situation. And you'll potentially try to de-escalate it, which is ideal because you don't want an altercation. Part of the whole gray thing and hiding in plain sight is if those situations come up is to de-escalate as much as possible. Even if a witness was impressed with how well you de-escalated that situation, they tend to always remember the aggressor with more detail. Which is good for you because part of hiding is directing the focus on other people. Another common item that people tend to carry are keys on their key ring. And sometimes I'm really surprised people don't have bad hips, bad backs, or walk with a limp when I see these monster key rings and all the keys on there. One of the things to do is to only carry what you absolutely need for sure. So you can easily get a key ring that can detach and leave a lot of keys in another location, whether it's at home or in your vehicle. And I'm always surprised at how much people don't want to leave things in their vehicle. It's not like you're planning on it being stolen. And I understand that, but as long as it's kept out of you, it's probably not going to be a problem. I know plenty of people that leave large key rings in their car all the time and you just got to stick them in a dash or a center console, but that's something to consider. The reason why is I still see people that carry these large key rings on their belt. Now that makes sense in some professions where people need that, but a regular person doing everyday things, that's something that's going to stand out because it's not really that common. The other thing too, is people are wearing tighter clothing more often in the last few years especially with things like jeans. And when they throw in these massive key rings, those things kind of create a bulge and they're noticeable. The funny thing is, it's the little things like that that make people stand out. One of the things you should look at if you don't know any cops or law enforcement is try to find some articles or videos or perhaps some of these cop shows where they talk about the little things that caught somebody. Not necessarily the forensics or that kind of thing, but when somebody was being described what are they describing when they say what they saw on a person? There tends to be certain features people always see. And when you identify those, and I'm not going to tell you what they are because I'm hoping you'll go learn on your own. You'll realize based on a lot of stuff I'm saying or just general common sense, how easy it is to protect those and cover them so that when they give a description, they could give an accurate one of how you looked at the time or how. But with a simple what they call a quick change. You can change a few items of clothing or a few things about yourself and go generally unnoticed just moments later. And if you're curious what it is, a quick change is just making changes to your appearance, typically through clothing very quickly that completely change who you are. And unless somebody saw you do it, they may not recognize you. You can also just do simple little things that aren't as common that'll make it more difficult. One example that I do sometimes is I have a lot of t-shirts or wick away under armor type shirts that are long sleeve. I tend to like those, but when I get out in the weather for too long or I'm out camping, I actually want a little bit more protection on my skin. That's just a personal choice. But before I lived in the desert, I actually had those for a long time. And the reason why was if you were going to do a quick change and you had say some sort of sweater or jacket that was long sleeve, something that was zipped up or like a hoodie that covered the shirt underneath I would also wear long sleeve with long sleeve. And here's why. Most people wear short sleeves with a long sleeve outer shirt or sweater. That's just what they do. Most people also don't own long sleeve shirts. Now, maybe you do. But when it comes down to picking who people are, a lot of people won't even think about the guy who's still wearing long sleeves. Now, it may be silly or even unbelievable, but it's actually true. I've seen it in training. It's just human nature. We make certain assumptions about people. So part of hiding in plain sight is, yeah, there's some management of assumptions, but what you're actually trying to do 
is make suggestions to people to get them to make incorrect assumptions so that if they do remember you or do see you, they can't identify you correctly or recall who you are accurately. Now, I know we only talked about a few little things, but I'm hoping maybe something in here helped you or you're just getting kind of the stories and trivias and some of the things that happen in the espionage world. But maybe you'll look at things a little more critically or from a different point of view or look for some of the more common smaller things instead of always trying to focus on the big cool things if that's the kind of person you are. But use what you can. Figure out what's going to work for you. Just try to pick apart a few things. Figure out what you need how to make yourself less memorable, how to protect your identity, and definitely look into those options for currency. I think that's just good for everybody. So I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll have more shows coming soon. Some of our future episodes will go into things like body language, more situational awareness, surveillance, counter-surveillance, interrogation, counter-interrogation, building rapport, Probably some stories from the intelligence world discussing some of the failures as well as some of the well-known or famous spies that have committed espionage around the world or been traitors to their own country and the effects it's had on us. And we'll definitely look into some of those fun subjects and try not to keep it always academic. So I hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got ideas, please let me know. Check the links below in the description. You can contact me there or check out the other podcasts that I recommend. And I hope that you've picked up some good tidbits and techniques that you can use yourself.